The Dime is sponsored by ETH Revolution. The cannabis industry has unique challenges, which means you need a multifaceted partner to help you navigate the landscape. ETH Revolution has a team of experienced science and business experts to provide a unique analytical approach, providing services from capital to cannabinoid and everything in between. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. As always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney, here with me. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Shada Tarabi, co-founder and CEO of Restart CBD and host of the very popular To Be Blunt podcast. Shada, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. I'm in a great mood. The sun is shining, can't complain. And I get to talk to fellow cannabis enthusiasts about my favorite topics. So... Let's dive in. We're excited. Kellen, how you doing? I'm doing well. Sun is shining out here in Colorado. It's a beautiful fall day, so no complaints. Love it. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, Shada, I think it'd be great for our listeners to get a little bit of a background about you. Yeah. So I am based in Austin, Texas, which for anybody who's tracking cannabis at a federal level, we are one of the slower states to market, but it's my home state. I was born and raised here. And so I'm very diehard Texan in the sense that I'm really excited to be positioned where I am. Um, I'm the co-founder of Restart CBD. I'm also the CEO of Restart CBD. We are a women-owned, sister-owned CBD brand and dispensary headquartered here in Austin. I have one brick and mortar location and I also ship nationwide, but yeah, as a born and raised Texan, never thought I'd be able to work and say the words I work in the cannabis industry in Texas, but that is exactly what I am doing. And as a result of that, I've had a lot of really great opportunities to public speak in the industry. So I'm a frequent, you know, conference speaker, different types of hemp and marijuana types of events, as well as really involved in the advocacy and the further of legalization, both from a Texas and a federal perspective. So I sit on the board of the Texas Hemp Coalition, which is the leading nonprofit helping to just educate both the industry as well as the politics side of how cannabis gets to see more acceptance in the state of Texas. And like you highlighted, I am the host of To Be Blunt, which is a podcast that I started in the middle of the pandemic because I wanted to talk about my favorite things, which were cannabis and marketing. And so, yeah, I just celebrated three years of business with Restart CBD. And we were just voted the number one CBD dispensary in Central Texas. And just really grateful for all the opportunities and the conversations that getting to be in this industry has unfolded. And excited to hear from you guys too, just kind of, you know, creating some dialogue of what's been going on in the world of cannabis. Yeah. And I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on those topics. And the first one I want to know from Texas, like when you tell people you're in cannabis, what are the type of responses people traditionally, or what are, what are they, what do they say to you? How does that interaction go? I think it kind of depends who you talk to for sure. If you're talking to people on the coast, they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. But if you talk to people who are like in Oklahoma or some of the surrounding States, they're very eager to see Texas legalized because obviously with federal legalization comes interstate commerce and ripe for, you know, kind of crossing those state borders. So it's, um, you know, I think Texas is perspective and is shifting. People are, you know, not so much scoffing at us as an industry. I personally like to believe that Texas as a state is one going to be one of the biggest markets when legalization opens up just because of our size, but also just because of, you know, the top cities you have Houston, Dallas, Austin, where I'm based, um, San Antonio. So huge markets that are just 
right for cannabis legalization, but also just in terms of, I think where Texas was really positioned from my perspective that I thought was a really unique opportunity for us. And I caveat this with, I grew up smoking weed. Okay. Like I spent a lot of time going to Colorado. I have family in Pagosa Springs. In fact, I'm going to Denver on Friday, going to go stay in Estes park. Like Colorado is my second home. So aside from being in the industry from a Texas perspective, I'm also very um, aware of kind of what's happening at a federal national perspective when it comes to these different cannabinoids. And so over the years of legalization, I've traveled to Colorado and I have friends who work in the legal industry and I have bud tender friends and brand friends who work on the marketing side or lab techs and things like that. And kind of their observation was like, what's going on in Texas with hemp legalization? And I'm like, well, CBD, like we have hemp legalized and now we have CBD and that's kind of cracking the door. And you started, you know, kind of observing what was originally very slow, but started turning into a faster pace. Like I remember going to Colorado and asking one of my friends who worked in a dispensary, what is like CBDs, like, you know, pressure here? Like what's going on? Like are people like into it? Are they not into it? Cause you didn't really see it in dispensaries. And so he was at the time kind of laughing at me, like, nobody's going to buy your CBD product shade. Like that's so laughable. And now you see them in every, you know, dispensary, every major marijuana city has incorporated not only CBD, but minor cannabinoids. And so I reflect on Texas in a market where you don't have like Colorado and California, you had legalized marijuana. And then you had the introduction of legalized hemp in Texas, because we don't have legalized marijuana and we just have legalized hemp you're almost playing a little bit different of a game. And so I think for us, we really saw this opportunity to talk about minor cannabinoids, to talk about terpenes, to really understand the science of the plant. I mean, again, big fan of cannabis at large, but when I would go to Colorado, it was like, it's legal. You want to buy it? This is an indica. This is a sativa. And as a marketer, I know you can go in a whole, you know, chain of thought of is sativa and indica the accurate terms to be reflecting on? Probably not, but the market uses those terms. And so that's really what the market was saying. You know, I have sativa indica hybrid and there was no, well, here's the CBD, you know, Delta nine blend. And this is a 20 to one ratio. And this is, you know, linalool versus karyophylline. Like nobody was having those conversations prior to hemp legalization. And again, being in Texas where where that's all we had to talk about, I think really has pushed the market at a federal level, at a national level, really into adopting all these conversations around cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system and why these different you know aspects of the plant really function in our body aside from just getting high. So um, I know Texas is not everybody's favorite state, but it's definitely you know mine. And I think that we're you know helping champion cannabis in really unique ways from Texas. So I'm excited for when, you know, the doors do begin to open up, but also happy to play in the minor cannabinoid space that we've been existing in for the past couple of years. I, I think that's so important. And I never really thought about that approach either because I'm in New York and, and we took a, a path very similar. And I also wonder, because Kelly and I always kind of go back and forth on the educational part of it. But like from the East Coast standpoint, we are so, so far behind and we never kind of took that, that stance and understanding how that works. So I mean, what can we do, right? I mean, I'm sure you face it all the time with, with your CBD business. Do people come up to you and say, hey, Shada, like, it's going to get me high? Do people oh, ask yeah. you those questions? So how do you, like, how do you navigate those challenging conversations? Yeah. I mean, I think I'll share a little bit of our kind of inception story. Um, I mentioned that I'm obviously like a very big cannabis fan. My sister and co-founder Sydney is kind of like the opposite. I always reflect we're the yin to the yang. I grew up consuming marijuana and my sister grew up as a university of Texas collegiate athlete. She would get drug tested and now she's an Under Armour sponsored athlete. So not that Under Armour in this day and age is like, Hey, you can't smoke weed, but her perception as a competitive athlete was always, you know, what do I do? for my body. And so 
kind of fast forward in 2015, I was in a car accident. This is kind of like our inception story. I was hit by a vehicle as a pedestrian in downtown Austin, broke my pelvis in two places and was confronted with chronic pain at like age 25. And smoked all the weed in the world. But again, I think the science behind cannabis in general was really half-sighted, half-hearted in the sense that I'm not saying marijuana isn't medical, but I do think that there are other cannabinoids and other conversations that can be had to frame how many milligrams of a particular cannabinoid? What is the consumption method that just like, I was a traditional, I come from the culture of cannabis. I'm like, okay, we're buying weed from the guy in the alley and it's going to get me high. And I don't have any say if this is indica sativa hybrid, whatever. I don't even know if the strain is what he says it is. It's weed. I'm going to smoke it. I, maybe I'm sleepy. Maybe I'm uplifted. I don't know. And so I kind of had that experience from my personal background, but my sister was like, wow, watching me recover from this accident. And I was doing opioids. I was prescribed opioids, but I was prescribed opioids, steroid injections, going in and out of physical therapy offices. And it got to the point where I went back to my doctor and my doctor's like, well, you could have surgery because you still have a tear. And so like, do you want to do that? And my mom was like, hell no. She's like super mama bear from Austin. So she got a little bit of hippie organic kind of, you know, wellness sense in her. And she was like, you, you smoke weed, you know, have you heard of CBD? And this was 2015. So hemp wasn't federally legalized. There was no market for it. I always like to highlight it wasn't illegal either. It wasn't like it was like black marketed, like marijuana was It just, there was no market. There was no way to like procure or like have a brand or have someone to talk to and say, Hey, Shada, what's the difference between CBD and THC? And so we, as a family, um, I always kind of reflect in my story. I'm the firstborn. So anything my mom says, I'm like, yes, (laughs) ma'am, I will do it. (laughs) And so she's like, you should try CBD. And I'm like, uh, mom, I smoke weed a lot. And she's like, I think you should try CBD. And I'm like, you're crazy. And she's like, I think you should try it. And I'm like, I'll do it. Okay. Started taking CBD, um, that she was making me homemade concoctions. Again, this is like 2015, 2016. 16 and just like had so much excruciating pain in the left side of my body from the impact that like one day I woke up on that side of my body and I wasn't in as much pain as I was, you know, the weeks prior. And the only thing that I had changed was um, my intake of CBD. And so for me, that was a really big wake up call of like, wow, there's these other aspects of the plant that nobody's talked to me about. Nobody's educated me about like, where do I even go to get educated? And so as a family unit, we really started turning internally to wow, how is this helping Shada? Like, what are these different cannabinoids? Why does this work? What's an endocannabinoid system? What's a CB1 and CB2 receptor? We then absorbed that, continued using these CBD products, but didn't launch our brand until 2018. So that was right before federal legalization. Again, gray area, not that it was illegal, just that there wasn't really legalization. And then Texas would legalize in June of the following year in 2019. So you definitely had stigma. I mean, Texas was like, this is going to make me high. Like, how does this even work? Like, what do I do with it? Like sublingual, edible, smokables. There wasn't even smokable hemp on the market when we launched. So it was this very nebulous, like I was trying to educate myself in an ever-changing, fast-paced, emerging market while also educating consumers. But I think the thing that we really capitalized on at the time when we launched our brand was education. And in the sense of we started doing pop-ups at like our local gym, like I'm a very health-minded person and reflecting back on my sister's story, I knew that we were not creating my brand and our brand for me. I knew what cannabis was to some extent and to to the extent of like, I would kind of buy it from anywhere, right? I was that person versus my sister who's like, what's the ingredients? What is the cannabinoid ratio? Like, what is the dosage? Like, how much do I take? What's the best consumption method? So she was really 
integral in our growth because she was helping kind of be the consumer who was like asking me, the cannabis person, like, well, what is this going to do to me? And I'm like, uh, well, nobody has ever talked to me like this in a dispensary. So I guess let's kind of, it's almost like you look around, you're like, who else is doing this? And you're like, oh, not a lot of people. And then you're like, you look around and you're like, oh, really nobody in my city or my state is doing this. I guess it's me. I guess I'm learning as I'm going. And we just found a lot of success by speaking really transparently and anecdotally about our stories and our journey with the plan. So me from an accident perspective, Sydney from an athletic recovery perspective, that people really just resonated with that. And so we were able to kind of incorporate the science to the extent that the science was available, as well as just being really friendly faces to this really mysterious cannabis plant that everybody was so um, cautious about, especially again, in a state like Texas, that I think that really helped us kind of crack the door open to have these honest conversations with consumers and for, you know, edification. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. Nothing I say is like, you know, supposed to be explicit truth. And we tell customers that we're like, do your own research, but also here's a couple blog posts you can read. And here's some anecdotal stories of stuff that I've experienced personally. And I think that really resonated with our market as well as the hyper excitement of CBD. I mean, you started seeing it pop up in juice shops and coffee shops and obviously incorporated into soap and food. And someone's doing a CBD pizza drizzle. I saw, you know, the other day on Instagram. And so Obviously, it's gone into this weird nebulous gray area still, but I think by being able to be a brand that really was just like rolling their sleeves up and was like, okay, we're going to give a face to this conversation. And I think it's fair to highlight too, I mean, no offense to guys, but like cannabis is a very male dominated industry, right? And so there was this huge stigma, not only with the plant, but also like, wow, here were these women and they're local girls and they're talking about cannabis, very educated wow, like I can really relate and trust them. And so just sort of building our credibility up. And I think that really has helped us just kind of further impress upon the Texas market. Um, that cannabis isn't a fad. And if you want to get high, there's certainly products for that. And if you want to just feel better and have better rest, like there's obviously products for that. And that's your right as a consumer is to be educated and to be told these are your options and not just a transaction, which I feel like is happening in so many markets, unfortunately. I think that's so important that you highlight that, especially in a market that is kind of newer to the space like Texas. And so for Kellen, like, let me ask you, obviously in Colorado, things are always a little different and we always bring that up. So like, do you see that resonating in, in Colorado or do you see that being more of kind of like an East Coast, West Coast? How do you kind of see that working? What, what do you mean by resonating? From like a conversational standpoint, the way Shader was describing like the approach from the conversation with these newer customers, do you see as the markets mature things evolving or is this more of like a, a first time conversational approach the the way you <laughs> describe that i think in colorado because colorado kind of took the reverse approach from legalizing cannabis first i think that it's a much different conversation um you don't ever deal with the will cbd get me high at least i don't uh on a regular basis um dispensary bud tenders might ha- answer that question a lot more but i think everyone in colorado has kind of come to the conclusion that THC is the one that gets you high and CBD is more of like a a pain medication, almost like a a feel wellness uh, situation, right? Um, It's pretty, pretty obvious when you go into dispensary and you're discussing with a bud tender about CBD and they're like, this will not get you high. This is something to treat kind of inflammation is more, more or less the, the conversation that typically happens in the dispensary. And realistically, a lot of people kind of, at least the older generations, if you will, that struggle more because they've been alive longer and life's hard, right? Is that uh, 
they kind of go into the dispensaries looking for something to kind of help with with pain management. And and CBD has kind of been the the tried and true cannabinoid, if you will, that sticks out in those conversations. So like the salves and the lotions that the older generations that are still that grew up in that cultural stigma are are more willing to consume those kind of forms of CBD. And, And they go in looking for kind of pain relief, if you will. And so that's that's the majority of the conversations that that I see. And and the majority of the conversations I have is like, I'll be playing golf with like some of my dad's buddies and they're like, Hey, my back really hurts. Like, should I try this CBD lotion? What do you think of it? You know what I mean? And and you do have to get into conversations about how they interact with different cannabinoid receptors in the body. And, and I think the biggest point that a lot of people like truly it's, it's hard to put a blanket statement on CB. If you take CBD, this is how you will feel. Right. Because everyone's endocannabinoid system is different. Right. Um, everyone's diet's different. Everyone's body's different. And so for some people, uh, a specific strain of cannabis, because at the end of the day, THC has been shown to to help with chronic pain, not acute pain. Right. And those are very, very different forms of pain within the body. But everybody's body's different. So like something that works for one individual may not work for another individual. And, and I think another huge aspect of the industry that that may be overlooked is that there is this synergistic relationship between the cannabinoid and and the other chemical constituents like terpenes like flavonoids right and it's hard to create that consistently right now i think that if you go to a dispensary and you're a flower user and you purchase say like an og or a sour diesel flower to treat your pain and you come back six weeks later to purchase the same product, it might be different because it might be the grower grew it a little differently. They might've had X, Y, Z from an environmental effect that caused a different chemical profile. And I, I remember we were talking to, to Dr. Talleyrand about this and like when they were developing Epidiolex, that was all of a sudden completely worked and there was no seizures from the, the, the girl, um, that's famous by Charlotte's web. And all of a sudden they came in with a new batch and the seizures came back and they're like, what is going on? And so it, it, it's such a, a new industry that there's all of these massive amount of, of scientific knowledge that needs to be gained to be able to like plant your flag and plant your flag on a hill and be, and say like, this is exactly how it, how, how it works for everyone. You know what I mean? I think that's so well said. And like, even with the minor cannabinoids too, right? We're talking about like CBD, but like the minors could just rise in importance the more we understand the value that they bring. And then even to take it a step further, the entourage effect, right? Like that's something that we could talk about over and over and over again. And until we really understand these these true nuances of the plants, these type of details, it's going to be kind of speculative and, and us wondering like, is this it or is this combination? And I don't even know how we get to that point. There seems to be so much information that needs to go. So, I mean, the conversations you're having with what type of products do you have at Restart CBD? And do you have them from marketing sense? Obviously, that's a huge challenge, right? You can't kind of associate this will put you to sleep, but you want to kind of encourage people to, to, to recommend them and to guide them towards them and say, hey, like, this is what you'd want to take if this. So how do you approach that conversation? Yeah. I mean, just to kind of piggyback off of what Kellen was saying too, I think that that's a really real conversation. In fact, we were just talking about that in our store yesterday, you know, different cultivars, different, you know, even the same seed, the genetics, depending on where you're growing it indoor, outdoor, who's growing it, what's the, you know, if they accidentally added a little more of a nutrients one day or one batch can create some variation to the end product. And I think that it's really hard when you have people who don't quite understand that that it's a plant, right? Like they know it's a plant and we talk about it being plant medicine, but there's still like, 
well, you know, I don't feel the same way I felt today that I felt last month when I took the product. And you have to kind of coach them through not only the variation of the, the, product itself, but also how your body, I mean, we all go through tolerance breaks and having to take a moment away from the plant or different consumption methods. Like sometimes I'll eat an edible and then the edible, you know, feel it really fast. Did I have a fatty diet? Did I have an empty stomach? Like these are different conversations that we have to have with consumers. We often try to come at it from a, the the analogy I use in my store is like, I'm a CBD Sherpa. I, I've gone on the mountain a million times and I know what you can look out for, but like, ultimately you have to go on the mountain and I want you to have parameters. And so another aspect that gets brought up is journaling, which sounds super rudimentary, but being able to, you know, what did I eat today? Well, when I felt it really, you know, intensely, what was my diet or what was my, you know, lifestyle that day comparative to a day that I maybe didn't feel it as much and like really putting that ownership back on the consumer to not just buy again, a transactional, I bought gummies or I bought oil or I bought flour, but like, wow, well, like this is maybe why it worked for me this time. And maybe why it didn't work for me that time, but kind of circling back to your question, you know, I think again, from our perspective, both in the hemp side of the market, as well as in Texas, really getting into minor cannabinoids. So obviously part of that is really um, driven by the research. So what is actually available in the market that is like substantial and tangible and like I can point to, but also part of that is what is the consumer market driving of the market? So the best kind of cannabinoid to highlight is a very controversial one, depending on where you live, which is Delta 8. You know, our story with that a little bit is I'm in the industry. It's very apparent. You know, you search my name and like, you can see this, that, and the other about me and all the things I'm involved with. And as a brand, we have relationships with our vendors, with our partners, with our growers, like all these different aspects. Right. And so I like to think that I have a pretty good understanding of like, Hey, you know, CBG is coming to market or CBC is coming to market or Delta eight THC is coming to market. But Delta eight was one that I really think kicked off that minor cannabinoid excitement in the sense that nobody in the market was talking about it from an industry perspective. Um, I should say nobody in the industry was really talking about it. I had it really being driven from the consumers. The consumers were coming in and it's funny before we were recording, we were talking about Reddit. I had a couple customers actually who came into the retail and they were asking, do we have Delta 8 THC? And I'm thinking like, well, yeah, I know what Delta 8 is, but like nobody's making it. Like what? Like where, where, where are you being told about Delta 8? And they're like, Reddit. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So now you have the market of these consumers really pushing to productize these cannabinoids and we're missing that gap of research. And so it's this very weird, like, how is this really going to make me feel? And like, well, I think anecdotally, or here's some research that exists, like what CBG is the mother of all cannabinoids. CBN is like what Delta 9 degrades into. If you read some reports, it's very helpful for sleep and insomnia. And some reports, it's not. And so it's like a little bit, you know, take it with a grain of salt. And so I think we as a brand um, really rely on those minor cannabinoids. I think part of it, again, is just what the market is asking for, especially in Texas. It's like, People want CBD. And again, I believe in the efficacy of CBD, but I also believe in the efficacy of the full plant, not that full spectrum as the end all be all, but there really is merit in understanding these minor cannabinoids as well as terpenes. And so as a brand, we really lean into, okay, this is CBC. We have CBC specific products. Okay. This is CBG. We have CBG specific products. We have them dedicated, whether it's capsules or an oil or an edible. And then like, not only do I have those products listed, like I also have education that comes with it, whether it's 
resources that encourage them to go have a jumping off point, or it's like a partnership. So for example, we recently, and I love highlighting this, um, partnership. We partnered with um, Leaf 411, which is like a leading nurse nonprofit. They're free to any consumer to use. It's literally a nurse staffed cannabis hotline. So they kind of help close the gap from where I feel like we drop off. And it's not that it's a perfect bridge, but it's starting to build that bridge for that consumer to really be able to say, Hey, this is my disposition. This is my ailment. This is my disease. Can cannabis help? Maybe they come in the store, they talk to me or my team, and we recommend a particular cannabinoid or cannabinoid combination. And then they can go follow up that conversation with a medical professional who understands cannabis and how that will work in their bodies versus like, it's a free for all. You got to figure it out. But comparatively, it is a free for all. You kind of have to figure it out. I had a customer just walk in the other day with her son. Her son came in first a couple of weeks ago. And then the mother actually came in and he originally came in because she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And he was hoping that CBD could help. And I had to kind of sit him down and say, anecdotally, like, this is what I know about CBG. It's known to be anti-cancer versus just taking a CBD isolate. But if your mom is concerned about popping a drug test, which anybody selling full spectrum, I hope is telling people that there's a possibility of failing a drug test. Um, that was definitely a, a challenging conversation when we first launched. People were like, oh, you'll be fine. Full spectrum, you'll be fine. And it's like, no, there's trace amounts of THC. People are definitely depending on their biochemistry and their absorption. It's in their system. And so we have all this knowledge. How do you communicate that to the customer? It's just having these conversations and having resources ready that you can supplement. Um, our bud bar is not just, you know, indica sativa hybrid, which it is because again, the consumers are going to come in asking for, I want the daytime effect. Is that the sativa? Okay. But next to my sativa, it says, oh, well, it has, you know, limonene in it. It has, you know, karyophylline in it. It has these other terpenes in that strain. So it's really getting the consumer attributed to, wow, when I smoked this particular strain, I really enjoyed it. And maybe it wasn't just because it was, you know, Gorilla Glue, it's because it actually had these other cannabinoids and this combination of terpenes in it that made me feel that way. So it's a really delicate conversation because you are combating the lack of substantial research. But at the same time, I think that there is so much merit in speaking transparently. And so we try to supplement that with really open dialogues on social media. We always are asking questions to our followers. We have a Facebook group that we've almost made as like a community group for our customers to join. And they can then share their own experiences with their products that they're purchasing from us. And they can say, Hey, I took this for this reason. And so you're starting to see the peer sharing of information in a more validated way. Um, so yeah, we're definitely learning as we go, but I think the resources are continuing to be put out in the market. And as a brand, we really lean into those resources because again, I really want to emphasize, and there's nothing wrong if you're just, you know, wanting to buy some cannabis and it's the cheapest price and someone's selling it to you at the flea market or wherever the case may be and you buy it. But, you know, people always ask, well, what makes your brand different? It's like, well, I really care about educating the consumer. I want them to feel empowered if they shop with me or they shop with somebody else. Man, well, Shada taught me how to read a label. Shada taught me, you know, what the difference between CBD and THC was. And they can take that information with them because at the end of the day, we're all selling a commodity. Like, yes, some people might grow better. Some people might extract it better. Some people might package it better. But if you understand how cannabis works at a fundamental level, in theory, I should be able to go into a dispensary, read a product label and understand, hey, well, relatively, this is my dose range. And I'm looking for these cannabinoids or these terpenes and get somewhere closer to the outcome that I'm particularly looking for. 
That's an incredible story. And I think focusing on educational is so much value for these customers because I'm sure the first time there's a lot of information, but that second time they come back, they're probably feeling so much more comfortable in understanding like where to navigate in that decision tree because it is kind of an overwhelming experience. And you're right. When you go to another state and you walk in and there's a hundred products and you're like, oh shit. But then you're like, think about it. Like Shada helped me. This is where I start. This is what I don't like. This is where I need to focus. It's so, it's so positive in that fact, because at least from what I hear, the stories in my state are sometimes they're negative sentiments, right? Someone got some pot from someone who's a whatever drug dealer, whatever they want to call themselves, like a doctor, various names here. And they had a bad experience, right? And it's like, is it the same stuff? And it's like, how, how do you know? It's literally in a bag that has no labels. There's nothing on it. Like, you have no idea. He could not be telling the truth. You don't even know this person. And I've really tried to push my parents' age to get away from that, to stop thinking about it like that. Because like, we can't be labeling pot like scary spot, sleepy pot, and like happy pot. Like, that's just not how it works when you have three bags in front of you. It definitely is a delicate conversation, right? Because it's a little bit, again, the market is shaping that conversation. So, I mean, it's really hard when you have brands that are taking advantage of these consumers. And like, for me, that's ultimately who I'm in business for. And I always reflect, I'm a consumer before I'm a business owner. And so I think that having that guiding light is really where we found a lot of success. Because if I don't understand this product or I don't resonate with this product. I'm not going to put that product on my shelf. But again, no disrespect to anybody who wants to play the game the way they want to play the game. I'm a big believer. The game is always being played. And if you think that the game isn't being played, then shame on you. You're already losing. So fine. You want to go sell a bunch of Delta eight cards to college kids and swipe one over on them and tell them that it's Delta nine. And then maybe they get sick and then they don't know who you are. And you just eject yourself out of the conversation. Like, fine, but that's honestly really fucked up and really scary. And so I think by having these conversations more out in the open, hopefully build some more self-regulation and some sort of, you know, ownership to the industry of, I genuinely want to see cannabis legalized in Texas. And so it doesn't benefit me if I sell a customer something in a transactional approach, like, Hey, buy this, buy this hundred milligram Delta eight gummy. It's going to really blow your mind. Like I see brands who do that and it comes in little bags, look like Skittles or nerds rope or whatever the flavor of the brand is. And then I'm thinking, who's actually buying this stuff? But then I see it on social media. People I know who are like, oh, just picked up this, you know, Skittles vape cart. And I'm like, that's not even a real brand. I don't even know why you would buy that or who was convincing you to buy that, but consumers are. And so it's like, we're caught in this kind of weird black, gray, whatever area where you really don't have any sort of authority to prevent this bad business happening. And so all you can really try to do is keep shining the light and kind of educating both the industry, which is where I think my podcast has been really effective for me is just like calling out the bullshit. Like I do call up businesses and brands when I see things that are not being done in the favor of the industry, but also trying to protect that consumer because as a Texas business, again, I have to operate like a consumer. If that consumer going back to them, right? Like they're the influencer to me. The consumer is the influencer when they have a positive experience with a product that and some information or education that they learn from me. And then they're having a conversation at their dinner table with their children or their friends at happy hour or with their doctor. Like this woman who came with her son, she came in and she was like, telling me how it was working for her. And she wasn't obviously like, it saved me. And like, I don't have cancer anymore, but 
she was saying, wow, I noticed my anxiety was, you know, going down, especially, I guess they call it white coat syndrome, where you go and see so many doctors, your body just gets so anxious because you're dealing with all this medical crap. And she was acknowledging how much more calm she was going through this process of dealing with these different, you know, stages of going through having cancer. But she said that she brought it up to her oncologist. And she's like, I wanted to tell you my oncologist, I brought up that I was using CBD. And my oncologist was like, I guess they can't, say or recommend for you to use cannabis. But if you bring the information to them, they can at least kind of, you know, Oh, like that's okay. Like I'm okay with that. And so she was like, yeah, my oncologist was okay with me using CBD. She's like, my PA was okay with me using CBD. And like, that to me is what it's about. It was empowering this woman in this like horrible time of her life, like navigating, like what's happening in her body with some information around how cannabis could potentially help her during this time and giving her that confidence to then go stand up and have those conversations with her doctors, her children, her friends. And so now she's becoming that influencer in her community of, Hey, this is like the dose that worked for me. These are the products that I felt really resonated. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that is where the industry is going to continue to trend as we bring cannabis more into the light, more people are going to, you know, feel more comfortable sharing their stories because, um, we see the flip side too. I mean, like you said, people who buy crappy products and then they have the attitude of cannabis doesn't work, or this isn't great, or this is shitty. And, you know, I hate that. I hate that people have bad experiences and then they get turned off from the plant. Cause at the end of the day, I, I need, I want them to be positive, whether you like cannabis or not. Those are the voters. Those are the people who are helping influence it to be adopted into our society and community. So it's a very, um, you know, circular kind of approach and thought process, but I really believe in the power of having these one-to-one conversations, empowering the consumer with proper information and education, supplementing it with really great, you know, quality products, and then just kind of having that dialogue to make them feel empowered to, try doses, try products, and then obviously influence their community around them. So important in a state like Texas, especially getting the word out and trusted relationships is going to help make a big big difference because obviously the flip side is a negative experience. They share with one person and then four people and then 10 people. And next thing you know, there's a hundred people who are against tinctures because of one off-putting experience. And that person might've purchased a bad product, was expecting different results, so on and so forth. So I really think you're spot on with the way to go about that. And, you know, it seems like you're absolutely killing it. So I'm glad you brought up the podcast. I really wanted to pick your brain on this. I love the name, to be blunt. Which guest that you've had on has shocked you? Ooh, shocked me. You know, it's really interesting. I I learned so much from the podcast. I think that's something that like I I'm really proud of the person that like I've become and grown into in the industry in terms of the amount of information that I've absorbed and like how to digest it and navigate it. Um, I can't say that there's like one episode in particular that's shocked me, but kind of what comes to mind is just you know, I get asked all the time, oh, are you going to open a legal dispensary when Texas legalizes? Or, oh, you know, federal legalization, it's coming down the pipeline. You know, we got the Democrats in office or, you know, whatever the topic of conversation du jour is of like how the industry is going to unfold. And I think for me, the most shocking is just when I have these guests share these stories, like I'm about to release an episode with a gentleman um, named Mike out of Chicago. And he was in the process of getting his license because Colorado legalized recreation and was just going through some of the the nuances of how these, you know, quote unquote lottery systems are done, how licenses get released, 
um, how the state operates the relationship to how the licenses are awarded and how the op- like the opportunities are like dealt with. And so kind of like the summation of that, right. And like reflecting on the flip side, I had um, a guest, a previous episode that is public with Liz Udell. She's out of California. She works for Canacraft currently previously was with MedMen. She was sharing how you have this industry in California where this is like prior to recreation, but like your medical dispensary and then like legalization for rec is coming. And so you're like, Oh, assumptive, like, Oh, I'm probably going to get a rec license. And the, um, just like shift of not having that guarantee, right? Like, I just think people assume that cannabis is going to be like another industry. And you see it all the time. Big execs come from Netflix or Amazon and they want to be in the industry. Or I interviewed, you know, someone once and they came from the toy industry and trying to apply it into cannabis. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that per se, but I do think that cannabis is its own beast. And so for me, um, just being really vigilant to understand and be perceptive to how the states have transitioned and what's gone down in these different, you know, avenues towards legalization, like Oklahoma flipped really quick. People like, oh, Texas could do the same thing. I'm like, no, Texas won't do the same thing. Oklahoma has no other economy. Texas has massive economies. Our economy doesn't need cannabis. So our governor doesn't care about that boost necessarily. So you just, you start to piece apart all these different stories, which again has given me a really great purview of like what to kind of expect. Um, Florida be an example. They're vertically integrated required. They're limited licensure. There's 13 licenses. They're operated by seven entities and some have multiple licenses. So it's a very locked in system. So people are like, again, what are you going to do with Texas? I'm like, well, I don't really know what Texas is going to do because we're a two-year state and we haven't progressed medical far enough for me to see where recreation is going. And so I think all of that to sum up is probably the most shocking is just getting to hear the true stories of like literal people who are operating in these debates of actually what's happening versus the hearsay or the speculation of like assuming, oh, this party's in office. So of course we're going to have federal legalization. Well, I'm sorry, newsflash, anybody who wants federal legalization should be very, very concerned because interstate commerce is very scary. California can't get their shit together. Colorado can't get their shit together. We have no standardizations on what is a dose, what to put on a label. What it, There's no standardization for fucking testing. I hear so much discrepancies when it comes to testing. So you think to me that federal legalization is around the corner and we're all just going to you know smack our hands and I'm going to have a dispensary at the end of it? Like that's fucking stupid. Sorry, I'm cussing a lot, but Let it out. that's, a, that's the, the blunt part of me coming out. But I think that is really the, um, the fun that I get to have doing my podcast is just having these conversations and having people share their stories and really peeling back the curtain to get a really good pulse on, huh? So you say you want to work in cannabis. Okay. (laughs) What does that actually look like today, five years from now, 10 years from now? So it's so hard too, right? And it's not just as easy as flipping on a light switch. We still don't have banking, right? Like, like, oh my God. We're just talking about like basic necessities, insurance, banking. Like we're not asking for so much here. We just want the basics to actually have the infrastructure to stand up. And Amen. then we can talk about all those other fun stuff. So Kellen, kind of dive in there from an approach, right? The licenses with Texas, Florida approach. I mean, all of these strategic approaches with vertical integration kind of all get mismangled, right? When interstate commerce comes down, the whole game gets changed again. It's one of those where it's like, Everyone's got these cards. They dealt it. They built these fortified moats. And then we're all going to have to like throw some cards back in from a poker standpoint and replay the game. So how is that all going to work? First off, as far as how states approach licensing, that has to do with the people in power, period. Right? Like Florida, as much as anyone wants to deny it, that 
a lot of people's pockets were probably greased. And I mean, the fact that 13 licenses were only released and like, oh, when we get another 100,000 patients, we'll release a license. Oh, but there's some red tape and oh, that'll be another year. And like, at the end of the day, we're at a precipice in the industry with those kinds of situations. And I mean, we're, it'll be very interesting to see how New York, New Jersey and the tri-state area handle it as well. Because these limited license states, the argument that the people sitting on top of the mountain are making is that, oh, less states are easier to regulate, right? And Illinois, perfect example, they were going to release a bunch of licenses and then five of the big companies got licenses and then COVID hit and they're like, oh, we can't approve any licenses at all anymore. Nope. And so like two years go by and then all of a sudden they have to sue and there's a bunch of lawsuits that go on. And so like, it's just dirty pool at the end of the day. Right. And like, that's where I think we're at a precipice is because like, as the industry continues to grow it's a really slippery slope from product safety to the corruptness of how licensing is being handled. Like is the cannabis industry just the next big tobacco industry, right? And and that's going to be tough, right? Because if A, we can't get our testing together, like California tests for 60 plus pesticides. Colorado, I think tests for 13, 14, right? Like it's so polar opposites in terms of testing requirements that it's nauseating, right? So like, Who's going to make the safer product and how are you going to transport those products across the state? Those are massive, massive questions. And at the end of the day, if all it takes is like another massive like vape gate crisis where it is actually something that was just overseen because people were trying to get rich quick, then I mean, you're just going to see 20, 30, 40 years down the line where people have been consuming these pesticides and cannabis and it gets tied back to it. And oh, next thing you know, like there's going to be a massive war on cannabis again. And so like, that's where I think we're in a really unique, unique place in the industry personally. And, and it doesn't help when like you hear people call truly a monopoly, right? Like that doesn't help the industry at all because like monopolies are not supposed to be allowed. And like, technically, if you own more inventory than the rest of the industry combined and you own more locations to sell said inventory and you're playing completely different games, like that's a straight monopoly. And so like, it's a really interesting time right now prior to federal legalization. And, and I, I agree with Shada, it's, there's no way we could go federal right now. No way. It would just literally, it would open a can of worms and it would just put a bad taste in everyone's mouth that had been convinced that maybe cannabis wasn't the devil's lettuce. You know what I mean? What are your thoughts on that, Brian? For so long, I was like hopeful that we could get it to work and it could happen federally. And like the more we've dove into this podcast, the more it feels like the laundry list of stuff we need to accomplish before we're ready to do that is just getting longer. Like we still have people in prison and like, I don't understand why it's so complicated, right? Like, I mean, I I understand why it's so complicated, but it's been a long time now. Like we can figure this out. Like, Let's get it together. We have the internet. We can put a group of people on and just one by one, let's just, let's get them out. Like this is stupid already. So, I mean, with the hurdles, like you've said, like the monopoly stuff I'm going to push back on. I don't agree. And that's a conversation we should probably have offline because I don't think they have a monopoly. I think the other MSOs are coming in aggressive. They're all coming for it because they don't believe that Trulip has as dominant of a strategic position right now, my, my opinion. But I guess we'll see what happens. In Do you a spend a lot of time on the OMMU website and look at inventory and dispensaries? You're like- right. They're crushing right <laughs> now. But I think it's because they started so, so much out in front of everyone else we should have a yeah. conversation because I mean, Florida releases requirements for new hydrocarbons 
And now the only other company that has a hydrocarbon product line three days later is True Leave. Sure, that timing of the timing of suspicious. The timing of that does seem a little suspicious, and we can have that conversation another time to not completely sidetrack thing of cars. I'm I'm a little passionate about that. We're getting that. But but that's it. It's like I have nothing against MSOs. In fact, I just did an episode with a smaller MSO, Marymed, and they're out of Maryland and trying to. Again, I don't. I. While I'm blunt and controversial, I never want to kind of, you know, be explicit in the sense that, because I believe there's multiple ways to the top. And I really want to believe that, you know, we'll all have our chance to be in the industry if we can learn from some of these things and kind of supersede what's happening. But unfortunately, it's kind of a shit show. And so you have these, I'm going to call it a monopoly also of these big brands that it's the relationships, it's the padding of pockets, it's the, you know, scratching my back, I'll scratch your back. And so you see people who have gotten an upper hand to be successful in an industry that is kind of preaching accessibility and like everybody having an opportunity, but then it's like, well, we'll legalize, but only if these people can have access to actually operating the industry. It's a very unfortunate reality as someone who grew up like smoking, you know, dope and hot boxing her Toyota matrix in high school, watching weeds, Like all I wanted was just to be like in a day where I could sell cannabis or be in the industry. And yeah, I'm getting a taste of it now, but I'm a very realistic person tracking what is happening in all these different markets. That's giving me this, you know, equally sentimental, you know, experience of just like, I don't know, dogs, like this is not looking good for, you know, the the quote unquote craft side of the industry, unless you have this infrastructure or the finances or the relationships to actually like stay in the industry. And so I think that's where MSOs do have a bad reputation because it's like for better or worse, you're coming in, you're monopolizing an industry that should have more variation in it. Like I think Florida has, um, which like to bring it back to Texas, we have medical marijuana. It's a very baby program. People hate that. I don't actually call it a true medical program, but it's not, if I have to have really specific conditions and I can only buy it from like two places like that to me, is not a medical program. It's not accessible. And so until we have a proper medical program, like Texas, we're still waiting, but we had one, there were three licenses for medical. One person is not active. One person was not doing anything for the past couple of years. And one was, and they were called Texas compassionate cultivation. So they've been operating their Texas brand and blah, blah, blah. Then the second license came out of dormancy. It's actually from Florida. It's Certera who changed Mm. their name to Parallel, who then changed their name to Good Blends. And like, why change your name? Why do you got to kind of be shady, shifty, kind of like moving the puck around different places? Very sneaky, in my opinion. Um, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt coming into Texas. My, you know, unofficial two cents is everybody should be really concerned for recreation in Texas, because I believe this MSO is going to come in. They're going to push for better medical, and then they're going to kind of do what Florida did. Oh, we got it. And then that's all and we have the licenses and it's we're vertically integrated and y'all can't have anything and we're not going to go wreck anytime soon. So have so much fun MSO. So, you know, again, I hate being that person who's like MSOs are bad. I don't think they're explicitly bad. I do believe some are operating out of goodness and innovation in the industry, but when it becomes to their um, operating in such a mass multi-state market, it, um, it gives me a lot of caution when we do start to ease into talking about, you know, opening up state lines. Who's going to have the upper hand in that conversation? I think it all comes back to the fact that the game, 100% agree, is extremely expensive, but the way the rules have been currently made makes the game even more expensive. So these monopolies, unfortunately, are being created 
in order to play the game the right or the wrong way. Unfortunately, that's just the way it works. I got a question for you, Shada. Why is the license not operating? Why is that third company that you mentioned, why why is it, why have they not opened up shop? I don't know necessarily the specifics. I can't even really place the name of the company. I honestly don't know how Certera Parallel Good Blends got their license because I don't think they were the original license holder. I think they purchased it from another dormant license holder. I think when Texas originally opened up licenses, it was a cash land grab, essentially. It was like, oh, I'm just got to get a license. Um, then they got the license and then they realized it was really, really stringent. So the, the peak into our medical program is... Um, we have only max 0.5% Delta 9 THC, which was just up to 1% as of September 1st in our last legislative session. So woohoo, by weight, 1% by weight. Uh, we went from epilepsy to incurable diseases to this last legislative session. They upped it to include PTSD and um, cancer. We were hoping it would give chronic pain and go up to 5%. Again, it went to 1%. And we got PTSD and cancer. Still good. But then you have these now two license holders. The way that it works in Texas, you either have to pay for those products to be delivered to you. So I live in Austin. I have the luxury. The two license holders are in South Austin and San Marcos. Not close to me, but within an hour, I could make the drive if I had my medical card. But if I'm in Corpus Christi, I'm in the panhandle. How do I get my medicine? I have to either go to the facility and pick up myself or pay for it to be delivered. I'm limited to gummies, sublinguals, I think maybe topicals, but definitely no smokables. And so it's a very restricted program. Why was so it's vertically integrated required? So it's like the operation to set up to then dose out. And then like the amount of, I keep seeing these stats, the amount of people who qualify for medical marijuana, given the current, you know, stipulations aren't even actually getting their licenses because it's such a crazy program to actually be a part of. So I have a few friends who just qualify. They just got their license or their medical card, I should say. They're going to kind of test it out and see what the program is like. I'm even someone who, with my car accident, I'm trying to get qualified for PTSD so I can give the good old state's medical program, you know, an opportunity. But I think that's why people are realizing, again, it's not a, we're going to get into cannabis and we're going to make all this money and we're going to have lines out the doors and we're going to be able to sell all these products. Now you have the state then placing all these restrictions on how people get their products, who even qualifies to get their products, what products you can create, how those products get distributed. And so it's become a like... We're sinking a lot of money into this. I don't know if we're getting the return. So kind of the sentiment as Texas brands in general, even from a hemp perspective, we get a lot of people who with the last legislative session, especially the scare with Delta 8, there was a lot of people who I literally was watching their mouths drop when they're realizing like, we thought legalization was coming sooner. And it's like, I don't know who you've been talking to, but that's farce. Like that's not true. But their assumption was I'm going to be in hemp and I'm going to hang on and I'm going to wait until weed becomes legal. And it's like, what? You're going to wait for three years, seven years, 10 years? I project Texas won't legalize for eight years. So you want to be in the industry sinking money and maybe your brand succeeds, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It's um, it's a gamble for a lot of people in the state right now, but that's my observation. Yeah, that that's perfect. I don't even think about that, right? Like they make it so, so expensive to set up shop. And then once you set up shop, it is such a tiny customer base that you have an opportunity to go to. I mean, you're just without burning it. 
without right without thinking too right so you, you gotta be, you kind of gotta be super rich to even play the game <laughs> super rich is probably not like even on top of it there's only so many doctors who will prescribe it oh because they're afraid of losing their license and so like let's say i have ptsd the way that it goes is i have to go to my primary care they have to diagnose me with ptsd i have to try every other medication oh those medications God. do not work then i have the option of then going to a cannabis doctor and then having them qualify me so you have people who are epileptic they're literally dealing with seizures they got to go on every seizure medication and have it not work while they're having seizures and then have the opportunity to then go see a cannabis doctor to then have them be given 10 milligrams of Delta nine THC in a gummy. I mean, they can drive to Colorado. We got people. people They're leaving. I have friends who have endometriosis. She literally is like, I can't get strong enough stuff in Texas. I have to move for my sake of the health of my body Has four kids picked up and moved to Colorado. I've noticed a lot of Texans in Colorado recently, honestly. We love it. The weather's much nicer. <laughs> a lot of Texas plays throughout around. I am we welcome lady. them. We welcome them. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got a lot of California plates, so I'd rather have yeah. Texas. Plates sure. Than we, there was a plates. there was a big leaving of California to Texas. Texas was the hot spot before Miami was the hot spot. Right. So let's yeah. let's switch gears. Um, <laughs> since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what is the biggest misconception? I think from a consumer perspective, just what is going to affect my body and how is it going to affect my body? Um, I think there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to these minor cannabinoids. Um, Even though I do sell Delta 8, I'm very perceptive and aware of the repercussions long-term. I mean, Kellen, you even brought it up from a federal legal perspective, you know, with the lack of regulations, we really truly don't know what the impact is going to be um, long-term for some of these cannabinoids and even these consumption methods. It's like people come and they ask me, you know, oh, is smoking healthy? It's like smoking weed or smoking hemp healthy. And I'm like, well, no, you're still smoking, but like, is it better than tobacco? Probably. So like myself as the example, I was a huge tobacco smoker for 10 years. I know shocker, but I did that. And then I transitioned to smoking way more weed. Like, is it better for me? I think so. Cause I feel better, but I'm still smoking. And so I think you have consumers who just, they don't realize how these products are going to affect them. And the market doesn't really understand how it's going to affect them. And like, not even to mention edibles and the discrepancies with edibles and like dosing and how much someone should take and what's the effect of that going to be. So um, I think maybe not a misconception, but an opportunity rather is like, I love microdosing. I think microdosing is super topical right now. I think a lot of brands are getting into it in the California market, especially. And I think it's really smart because you have new consumers who are hitting the market. Again, I always try to put the hat on like me, I'll eat the brownie at the party and not ask questions. <laughs> like, was it 10 milligrams? Was it hundred milligrams? Like I've definitely overdosed myself because I didn't ask questions or I didn't read the label properly. I've also, unfortunately, you know, overdosed friends because I'm me and I'm like, you'll be fine. And they're like, I'm not you. And that made me feel really crazy. So you have these new consumers who are trying to like, you know, get with it, be hip with the cannabis. And they don't really understand how cannabis actually works in their body. And so I think, um, again, conversely, you have brands who are selling, here's a hundred milligram Delta eight edible. And it's this size. And it's like, that seems harmless. And then you're tripping and, you know, it's a new consumer and then that's a bad experience. And is that a lawsuit? Is that a, you know, just a hospital visit? Is that then turning them off of cannabis? So it has obviously a lot of repercussions to it, but, um, yeah. You could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation. What would it be? 
well, I don't think this is cannabis specific, but this is what has gotten me through life. Um, and it's a, a thing that my mom taught me and it's just to show up, you know, I think cannabis is one of those industries that, um, people often are like, well, how do I, like, I had a guy, he's like, how do you, how do you market? How do you do it? I'm like, show up ask questions, like good for you for asking me the question, but like, I also can't do the work for you. So I think people are looking for the easy route to take advantage of the industry or the opportunity, um, cannabis or anything. And so the best thing I can say is show up, go to the trade show, like reach out to that person on Instagram, like ask the brand, the question, like let them tell you in their words, what's going on with their product or that thing that they're, you know, talking about. Um, and so just be really present because the industry is moving really fast. And so if you're not there, you might miss it. So show up. I love that prediction time. You already kind of hit at it, but I'm going to have to ask formally two part question. What month and year will Texas vote to legalize adult rec? And then when will you Shada be able to purchase a product? How long after? So Texas is a two-year legislative state. So for sure the month that it would legalize, well, it's kind of a two-part, right? So it legalizes in June and then it would be in effect in September. So that's going to be my month prediction. Um, And what's eight years from now? 2029. 2029. Yeah. I say 2029 for Texas just because we're a two-year state. And so give me some grace because I think that this through our legislative session, I think we should have been 2020 for some reason with COVID. Um, But I think we're about seven to eight years out because I don't think that you'll see, even if they federally legalize Texas is Texas. We're strong. We're not going to just turn over. Um, And I do believe so far, anybody who's been in office has said that they would leave it up to the states to make decisions. And you have not seen anybody go full on rec without going medical. So until I see Texas have proper medical access, which I'm hoping in two years, maybe we get um, chronic pain. And then maybe in two years, we get more dispensaries and more licenses. And then maybe in two years, we get, you know, it starts to kind of peel back. So um, 2029, September 1st, going into effect. So on the record. On the record with hemp though, they, they legalize pretty fast in terms of licenses. So I don't know if Texas at that point will take that long for it to actually take into effect. I think once legalization, you'll probably see it um, within a year. So probably by 2030, I would say I'll be able to buy a product legally in the state of Texas. Yeah, 2025. And I think that Texas will move quick. They get stuff done when they put their foot down. I mean, the like hemp, the federal government farm bill passed hemp in 2018. And you saw within two years, Texas had a hemp program. You know what I mean? And they're a big ag state. They can see the capital they can generate. So I think that if it goes federal, like decriminalized, then I could potentially see Texas moving really quickly just to capture their market share as a, a large ag state. And yeah, I mean, Texas has a huge GDP, right? Like globally, I think they're like the third largest GDP if you consider them like I think their we're own fourth, country. Yeah. yeah, if they're their own country, which is just insane, right? And so, but even with that said, like there's money to be made, right? It could be a $100 billion industry in by 2030 and... You know, Texas, those people, everyone from Texas I've met likes money. It's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we so, like green. So. Yeah, totally. um, so I could see it going that way. I could also see Texas not even participating in the industry and just being like, you can ship it here. And we'll just focus on our, our cash crops that we have right now from like a, a fiber perspective and all of those other things. Because 
That's the other thing I've noticed about Texas is they are within that their hemp program. Yeah, we're very, very into fiber. More, they're much more focused on industrial building materials with their hemp program. Yeah. So I don't know if y'all knew this, but Texas just went through um, a hemp smokable ban. So in 2019, it was legalized. In 2020, the Department of State Health Services, which regulates COVID health in the state, as well as cannabis, hemp, they were like, whoa, we didn't know you guys were going to smoke this. So now we got to deal with the smoking. (laughs) And they literally put a ban in place prohibiting us from retail selling, manufacturing, and processing. Then we could, when you like talk to lawyers, it's like, okay, well, you can sell it as non-smokables, wink, wink, right? So like, oh, it's just loose bud, whatever. Then the judge presiding over the case put a pause on the ban. So for the last like, you know, eight months, we were like, oh, we're selling it. But like, what's the outcome going to be? Well, three weeks ago, I think four weeks ago, maybe at this point, um, the judge decided it was unconstitutional. So they opened it up. But there was a little moment in between before the judge gave her final ruling where she said it was legal for us to retail sale, but you still could not manufacture or process. So basically, Texas was like, sell, but just don't sell from our state. So totally taking the economic opportunity out of the hands of Texans. So for a week and a half, we were kind of like, wait, what the fuck? Like that sucks. So it's kind of stuff like that, that like you hear and you witness and you're like, I don't know what Texas is going to do. They're literally that crazy ex-girlfriend who's like, ha like today I'm going to do this and tomorrow I'm really sweet. So I don't know. <laughs> then you have, like you said, the um, industrial side is really popular. I think that Texas is really keen on that. Did and Big so, Tobacco, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did Big no, Tobacco stop that? Like, do you think Big Tobacco, they're like, whoa, like we're not losing market share for people smoking this. They should be smoking. We don't market. grow tobacco in the US that much though. So. But like, why, like who's putting the, the kibosh on that? It's my question. I think it was just the the politicians in Texas who didn't realize that we were inching towards marijuana because obviously hemp looks like marijuana. So they're like, whoa, yeah, this is crazy. You're smoking force. dope. Yeah, our cops don't know how they to do They couldn't tell the this. difference. They couldn't tell the difference. And so it and increased so it was trafficking. A, yeah, regulatory thing of like, well, we don't know how to deal with this. So we're just going to make sure you can't sell it right now until we can figure it out. Oh, by the way, we haven't figured it out. So like, we're just going to kind of like, fuck with you guys. So. There's nothing better when you have a problem than just punting it down the road to deal with it at like a later point. There's nothing better with an ongoing problem. Be like, I'm not handling this for at least six months. So we'll just <laughs> shove that in the closet. Hopefully, Well, it's don't. not like it's even like resolved, right? So we have this break now, but like I'm also waiting. So kind of two things. One, next legislative session, they could potentially deal with something if they still have this strong sentiment. Like you really, when you look at Texas, they're like, yeah, agriculture, animal feed, like hempcrete, but they really are distasteful towards the smokable hemp and the Delta eight and things like that. So you have this division where it's like, we don't know how to legalize because if we legalize, you're going to do the bad stuff and we just want you to do the animal stuff. And so they're kind of conf- and what happens um, with this Delta 8 stuff, especially I just saw um, the FDA kind of came out with some updates on Delta 8, which will be really crazy to see how that actually impacts Texas's market because I'm a really big believer. Yes, we sell Delta 8, but we are a brand first and foremost. And so I think that people who didn't build brands and they were just building businesses to sell. I'm sure you see it all the time. Time CBD sold here on the side of a fucking road. Like, who are you? I don't know. What are you selling to me? Farmer's market? Like what's in your product? I don't know. So I think those people who are really kind of like skating by right now, because Delta eight's legal. If Delta eight goes away, you're going to see a lot of consolidation in the Texas market because who really is going out and buying CBD oil to, you know, suffice a business. 
Yeah, that's that's really well said. So Shada, for our listeners that want to hear more, we'll link up all in the show notes, but tell them where they can get in touch. Yes, find me on Instagram, the Shada Tarabi. If you just type in Shada Tarabi on Google, you'll find all about me, all about my brand, Restart CBD. We're on Instagram. We have a bunch of great YouTube videos, very education forward, as we've emphasized a billion times in this episode. And if you want to listen to more of my unfiltered thoughts, <laughs> on all things cannabis on my podcast. Uh, to Be Blunt is where you can find it on any podcast channel. So I really appreciated the conversation today. This was really fun. And I said a lot of things that I'm sure people will have a lot of thoughts and opinions about. So please reach out to perfect. me. I love love having dialogue. That's the perfect. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.